Hey, it's episode 5 of the Broken Meeple Podcast. It's going to be a relatively quick podcast this week, guys. I've played a couple of new games recently that I wanted to share my first impressions with you. And I just wanted to give a quick overview of what is to come in October, as, as I've been promising for ages, that is going to be dedicated to Arkham Horror. And specifically, Arkham Horror, the main game that has all those expansions like Innsmouth and Kingsport and Dunwich Horror, etc. If I get a chance, I'd like to be able to try out Elder Sign and see if that's any good. Unfortunately, Eldritch Horror is yet to be released by Fancy Flight Games, but I'm really looking forward to that. I, I'm praying that that's going to be something else to add to my little Arkham Horror universe, because at the moment, the only thing I've been able to add lately that is Arkham Horror related in any way is the Cthulhu expansion to Smash Up, which, well, well, read my written review about that. It's on the site now. That will give my impressions as to what I think of that particular expansion. But without further ado, let's get on to the first impressions. Okay, first up, we're going to kickstart with Last Night on Earth, the zombie game. I'm not sure if it's actually got the zombie game in the title, and even then, it seems a bit pointless, really, because you know, when you look at the cover, it's kind of blatantly obvious it's a zombie game. It's got a huge, mutated face of a zombie on it. It's, you know, somewhat that, but I digress, that's a petty little thing. But I got a chance to play this a couple of weeks back, and I was on the Survivor team, and we were playing a scenario which is pretty reminiscent of most, like, Left 4 Dead-style scenarios, or even most movies. You've got the truck, it needs gasoline and the keys, you've got to go find them before the zombies eat you alive. Now, no, fairly standard scenario. But I like zombie games, I like zombies in general as a genre, they're one of my more favourite uh, horror clichés of all time, really. I'm not usually a big fan of vampires to an extent, and I don't really go for ghosts or poltergeists or anything like that, but I, I quite like zombies. Even though the cliche has been done to <laughs> to here and back, it's it's one of those genres that it's not really going to get old for me, even though there are too many games to choose from when it comes to thinking of what to play. But Last Night on Earth tries to effectively be Night of the Living Dead, the board game. You will have two teams. It's, it's semi, it is co-op, but it's also team versus team. You've got a team of heroes, which can be any number of, of players, and they will take command of a particular hero, it can be anything from a teenager to a, a nurse to uh, a farmer, a priest, you know, all sorts of these cool distinctive characters. And depending on how many human players you have, you also have one or two zombie players who take control of the zombie horde. Now, that doesn't sound like the most entertaining aspect for the zombie player, considering how slow zombies move, but what the zombie players get is their own little deck of cards with special events and abilities that they can either give to their own zombies or can use to hinder the hero team in some way. So it gives them something else to do, and the two players, the person who owned the game and a friend of mine, who was playing the zombies, had a good time with them. So, no faults there, but I didn't get a chance to play the zombies. I was one of the heroes. Specifically, I was the classic farmer's daughter character, which, if you want a comparison, think... Uh, is it Daisy? Um, correct me if I'm wrong on the name. I think it's Daisy. But the girl from Dukes of Hazzard, uh, that the two guys really like. Um, the quintessential farmer's daughter, basically. So I thought, oh, well, cool character. Uh, <laughs> you know, where's my uh, chainsaw and rake? That's what I was waiting for. But 
All four of us got to be heroes. We started off in different areas on this board, which is a tile modular board. Most of the areas are fairly similar between games, but the center tile is reminiscent of depending on what your scenario is. So it can be a little mansion, it can be a truck, it can be a shelter of some kind. There's quite a good amount of variation. And that's just the base game. This game's had quite a few expansions in its time. Now, over the course of the game, the heroes will roll dice and move their characters to various locations and perform searches to try and find the special items that they need. Now this can either be the plot items, like in our case the keys and the gasoline, but it can also be to find weapons or special event cards that help us. We have a deck of cards similar to the zombie deck that give us benefits and bonuses and that kind of thing. So everybody just starts off in hand-to-hand -hand combat with nothing to show for it, unless their hero specifically says, but I don't think anybody did in our case. And whilst that's going on, the zombie players will take control of each other, and they will effectively... No, take control of each other, that's the wrong phrase. They, they will basically take control of their zombies, and they will move them across the board to try and eat us alive, get into combat, or they will play cards to hinder us at every turn. Now, I, I, it was quite a good game as I played through it, and the theme is there when it comes to the heroes and the event cards. They all make sense, they're all reminiscent of special zombie movie cliches. Um, I'm not going to go into specific detail as to what Last Night on Earth actually does, but I'll leave that to your imagination to figure out. Let's just be said that the time it got played in our game was hilarious. <laughs> we, I think the two survivors who got involved in that could not live that down. But... In general, the game flows quite smoothly. You you don't have much problem with AP players because everybody's sort of working simultaneously. And the theme is there with regards to what you can collect and so forth. But to an extent, the thing I feel about the game is that just playing it as a static environment of, right, you do this, you do this, um, it gets a little stale. You have to kind of help the theme go. You know, we were coming up with our own little stories, our own voices even. We even treated it like a little mini RPG, really. Uh, but we were basically having a good laugh, and I feel that helps the game. You have to push the theme along for it to really stand out. It won't just come out on its own. Um, there's an element of luck to the game because you are rolling dice, and the combat system isn't too bad, actually. Generally, you're rolling a certain amount of dice versus the zombies, highest number wins, but you can't kill the zombie unless you roll a double and win. So it's actually quite tough to kill a zombie unless you've got a good weapon to do so, which makes sense. You know, you can't punch a zombie's head off and expect that to kill it. You know, how many zombie films can you do that that are actually good zombie films? Let me stress that point. Now, with us, we had a little bit of a diversity in that respect. You know, the priest was pretty much stuck with his faith as his weapon, Two of the others could not find a gun for ages, or even a weapon of any kind for ages. And I just seemed to get lucky with that, and ended up finding my signature weapon, the chainsaw, which, very conveniently, the mini um, of the person I was actually has a chainsaw in her hand, uh, managed to get a chainsaw and a pump-action shotgun. So I was basically going around like this zombie killing machine, whilst everybody else was struggling to survive, and I had to bail them all out until they eventually got like a little pistol or something. Now I mentioned Mini, this game does have little zombie miniatures and little hero miniatures that are good, good detail and they have their own, you can tell them apart, they're nicely done, but they are just plastic pewter effectively, so if you want this to be really formatted you're going to have to get your painting skills to, in order and do a little spot of 
paintwork on those. But if you're one of those people that's used to playing Warhammer or 40k or any similar miniatures game like that, that will not be a problem for you. But we're playing with those little plastic things. I don't know, it detracts a little bit from the theme. So I think if you really want the theme to stand out, you're going to have to get some painted miniatures in this game. I can understand why they didn't bring it into the game. It would have racked up the cost um, exponentially, I suspect, to have that. But uh, it gives you something to think about. You know, If you want the theme to stand out, be good at painting. Or just paint, in general. That's all I'm saying. Um, but generally, it was, a, it was a good laugh. The players ended up winning pretty easily, I thought. And that was one thing that worried me slightly. Because I looked through all the scenarios, and I could just get an impression that there were some where the zombies were at a massive disadvantage, and there were some where the players were at a massive disadvantage. I suppose that's not such a big deal. I mean, you know, zombies... The fight against zombies was never a fair deal in films anyway. It was always in favour of the zombies. And I suppose that comes down to the luck element, because when you do your searches, you have to pull from a deck of cards. So it's luck as to what cards you pull out as to whether it's useful. I mean, my miniature had a chainsaw. I said, oh, I really want a chainsaw. I want to be like the films. And the first card I drew was a chainsaw. I could not have got more lucky than that. So... You're going to have games that sway different ways depending on the luck, and if you're looking for a strategic game, this isn't it. The game is basically a bit of thematic fun. You are just having a laugh with some friends, team games, which are always quite good. It's nice that you've actually got some players to fight against as opposed to just a zombie well, computer player or board game player, if you see what I mean. So that's quite a refreshing change from other games. And... The I didn't get a chance to... I heard this come with a soundtrack. I never listened to that. We were in a pub, so we couldn't really use it. I hear it's not very good anyway, so don't buy the game based on that. But it's not really a game that I would personally get in my collection. But I did enjoy myself, and I would happily play it again. So, But I would have to try out different heroes and different scenarios and try my hand at the zombie player. So it's not a favourite game of mine, but... I think it's a reasonably solid zombie game if you're just looking for a bit of harmless fun and don't mind the fact that there is a heavy amount of luck in the game. So that's Last Night on Earth, the zombie game, made by Jason C. Hill, published by Flying Fog Productions. Now we move on to a second game, which is a lot less complicated than pretty much any of the first impression games I've done to date. It's called Gambit 7 by Days of Wonder. Now, you probably have never heard of this game, and to be honest, I've never heard of this game at first. As soon as someone mentioned it, I thought, huh? what? another trivia game? Oh no, not trivia. And if you've seen my earlier podcast, you'll think, oh god, you know what I think of pub quiz and trivia games because of my lack of trivia knowledge. However, I was told that by the person who brought this in that this was Wits and Wagers Mini, or Wits and Wagers for the UK. And I've heard of Wits and Wagers, and that game has interested me, because I do like certain party games that take the quiz element to a different level. Just a boring trivia game is not fun. But a trivia game where there's a twist can be fun. And in this case, similar to Wits and Wagers, I mean, it's almost a downright copy, really, uh, you essentially have questions that will say like what date did this happen how many of these can you are there on a football you know how many uh and use a different example i suppose i mean it, basically it's going to be a number it's going to be a number so measurement a date a time that kind of thing and everybody will have a couple of voting score markers 
and they will also have a little sort of erasable pen and a little whiteboard piece of cardboard thing to write their answer down on. And essentially, you'll get. Uh, let's give an example of one we had. Was like, how many pentagons are there on a the football? That was an answer uh, question we had. Everybody will write down what they think is the number, and then they are laid out on this little chart, which has sort of increasing and decreasing levels of scoring, in order of low to highest. So let's say we did the Pentagon 1, I said that we had 12, 15, 18, and 20. It would go in order of 12, 15, 18, and 20, and then everybody gets a chance to put their two voting markers on whichever one they think is the correct or nearest answer. Stress this point, you don't have to get the exact answer. If you do, great, bonus points. But it comes down to whether your choice is nearest to the number without going over. So for example, somebody had 15 and there was an 18. That means if there was the answer was 16 or 17, the 15 player gets it. The 18 player, even though he's closer to 17, went over, so his answer doesn't count. And now this, like you said, this is pretty much the same as wits and wagers, where you vote on which answer you think is correct, even if you ain't got a clue what it is. I mean, I didn't really know, I just had to use guesswork, and conveniently, I actually got it bang on right on 12, which was kind of freaky, really, and to be fair, it won me the game and I loved it. But, you know, it's not often that you will get the exact answer, particularly if it's a date. You know, we had, when did Beethoven or Mozart, I can't remember which one it was, uh, wrote his Ninth Symphony. Now, you know, if you know the exact date of that, then clearly you need to get out more and you know far too much about music. But the most of the people are putting a date and it's going to be covering a range. And it's that's pretty much the deal. You, you will have seven rounds, you will answer these questions, you will vote on whichever ones you think are right. So you will get points on whether you got it right or whether you even if you didn't get it right, whether you put your voting marker on the one who did. In addition, there's also a chip you can play, the Gambit 7 chip, which if you get the answer right, it times your score currently, your total score over time, by 7, but if you get it wrong, your score resets to 0. I personally didn't like that chip, and nobody used it anyway, because that's just... I think that's a bad element of the game. Because times in your score by seven pretty much is going to win you the game. If you get it right, it's nigh on impossible for anybody to catch you up unless they get lucky with the Gambit 7 as well. And on the flip side, if you end up getting your score reset to zero, that's it. You are out. There is no way you can catch up again if you get reset to zero. It just penalizes you like crazy. So I really don't get why that chip is in there. None of us used it, so it didn't really matter. And to be honest, I'm never going to use it. And I would say as a house rule, just take it out. I just think that's a pointless chip to put in there. The voting markers are great, though. The fact that you can vote on a question that you didn't know the answer to, but you can go, right, uh, you seem pretty confident, I'm going to go with you. And it's really funny as to which ones you get. I mean, some people act confident, say, yeah, I know this, I'm a sport fanatic, I can do this one, no problem. And then they get it completely wrong. Although, sometimes I got the butt of that one where they'll say, you know, what date did this happen? And they'll put down three dates that are fairly close to each other, and my date is somewhere into the middle of next century or something. And it's like, yeah, well, I didn't know exactly. You could have got it close, but nope, you know, I told you my trivia knowledge sucks. So that did hamper me a little bit. But still 1-1 one, one in the two games, so it can't be all that bad. 
But this was fairly enjoyable. It's quite a cheap game. You can get it on Amazon for about 20-ish quid. And it's essentially, when I say Wits and Wages for the UK, it's because what I've heard about Wits and Wages is that its questions are very tailored to US knowledge. So if you don't live in the US, you're going to have trouble playing that game in particular. This Gambit 7 seems more tailored towards the, the general English market, or not to sound like ecocentric or anything, um, the UK market. So these questions range from the UK, but there are some US elements. I know we did have one or two questions in there, but generally you will find that the questions are much more accessible to people. And it doesn't matter if nobody has a clue what the answer is. Just guess and see what everyone votes for. That's the whole point of the game. You're not meant to get the answer right. It's not a pub quiz. It's a case of whether you can get close enough to the answer and whether you, even if you can't, whether you can vote for the one who did. So you need to think about what your other friends there know and whether they get it right. You can play this with a lot of players. I mean, singly you can play it with, I think, between three and seven, but according to Board Game Geek, it can go up to 21 players. Now, I can only imagine that's if you play it in teams. I would not like to imagine this game with 21 individual players. I cannot see that working. But it's certainly fine with teams, and it's just great when you've got individual players anyway. Um, any kids could get into this easily enough. You know, the recommended age is six and up, so like anybody could really do this. It's a party game, so there's always going to be fun and frolics along the way where everyone's having to go at each other. And it comes in a small box, so it's easy to take away. If you get some erasable pens, you don't have to worry about having tons of paper all over the place, so it's nice and compact, and you can effectively just take it on a travel somewhere. I'm very tempted to get this game, because I know two groups of people that I can play with that will like this game a lot. There's a group of friends I go on holiday with each year. We play a lot of board games, but we tend to stick mainly to party games. Um, the, the group is more into that. I'm going to take a few little extras on holiday this year, though, and see what they like, but mainly they're going to be party games. Gambit 7 qualifies as a party game, and I think they will really like it. Another group of people that's good for it is the family. I have a nightmare trying to think of what games to take home to my family, because generally my dad isn't too fussed about certain types of games. He likes to stick to his old ones. My mum usually doesn't get half of the rules in any games that I try to explain to her. So that only leaves one of my brothers there, because the other one's all the way up north, who can actually understand combat rules, and even then that takes a little while to explain. So it's difficult to take games home that I know they will play. So I can't take any heavy Euro games. I was quite fortunate to teach my brother Citadels. That was a good one. And I've managed to get them hooked on Dixit, another party game. Very good party game. I hope to get a review of that done in the next couple of months. Um, so it's difficult to see what they like. And this one I know they will like. Any form of party game or trivia game should be accessible by any family. So I am very tempted to get this. I don't know if I will or not. I'm really on the borderline of whether I will or not. However, it's a very tempting prospect because it... It's accessible, simple, fun, and given my lack of trivia knowledge, and despite what I said on an earlier podcast, I hate pub quiz games and fixed trivia games, this is different. This is a trivia game with a twist, and that's why I like it. That's Gambit 7. Okay, just to finish off now, we're going to just have a little chat about October. 
We're almost up to October now and everybody usually has their Halloween cliche for October and I'm no different. You will have already guessed I'm quite an Arkham Horror fan. Well, I say fan, I've got a keen interest in it. My mates lent me the Necronomicon book to read with the short stories in it and eventually when I've finished reading The Hunger Games I will get round to doing that at some point. Uh, but I've got the Arkham Horror base game and all the expansions for it, and that's everything, including Miskatonic, every expansion for that game. It's taken up a lot of room, but and that's it after I've got it into four boxes. But what I'm going to do for October is go through each game in turn. So I'm going to start off with a just a quick overview of my storage solution that I've got for the game. Because with Arkham Horror, you have to come up with a storage solution. If you try and keep everything in their original boxes, you will not be able to unpack and pack this game in anything less than a day. It's just a lot of components in this series. So I'm going to put something up that basically explains a way that I've managed to get everything into four main boxes, just the four main boxes, with help from a person on YouTube who I got the idea from. I will... I can't remember his name offhand, but I will credit him in the review. He deserves every respect for giving me the inspiration to do it. And it has done a lot for my Arkham Horror Gaming. Now, I'll kickstart with that. Now, I don't know whether that's going to be a video review or a written review yet. Because I haven't done any video reviews yet. And I may do in the future. But it's going to be a bit weird if I've just got one video on my site. And it's totally dedicated to a storage solution. So I might just take a few photos, put them up with an explanation of how things are going, uh, maybe link it to the YouTube person who actually helped me do it, maybe that would give a better explanation. I don't know, I'm still undecided, but I'll come up with something soon because we're almost into October and I need to make a decision. So that'll be the first bit. The rest of the month will then be a selection of reviews, starting with the base game on its own, and that will probably be the lengthiest review because you've got to explain all the rules and there's a lot to explain. I probably won't even be able to go through all the rules of that game because there is a lot to know. So expect the rule set to be a bit of an overview, but I will go into detail as to what the game offers in terms of immersion and just fun. Then after that, I will go into each of the expansions in turn, and that's the big ones and the small ones as well, and explain not necessarily the extra rules, although I will briefly mention them. What I'm going to discuss mainly is what they bring to the base game as to whether it's a disadvantage or an advantage or an improvement or something that's just not really shouldn't be there or doesn't get used much. And basically, I hope that by the end of October, after all these reviews are done, if you're considering Arkham Horror, you will have a rough idea of which games that you will want to add to your Arkham Horror collection. I mean, obviously you need the base game, if you're going to get it. But the expansions, I will say this now, I've got all the expansions. However, I know that there are certain expansions there which I will say are essential, but there are some which are not, and there are some which, you know, are more just if you're really into it. So there's going to be a mix of reviews on this one, and I'm looking forward to getting it all done, because this means I'm going to be playing Arkham Horror solidly for a month. hope it doesn't, hope I don't burn out on it. Um, in addition to those reviews, I'm hoping, I mean this is not guaranteed, but I'm hoping that we're coming up to a little convention called Mini Stab, I think I mentioned it on the previous podcast, in Southampton in the middle of October, and that is going to be um, just a general gaming convention. But however, I am told that another friend of mine from Southampton Gaming Club, who is into Arkham Horror, is going to be bringing one or two of his fan variants for Arkham Horror. 
and he will be playing those with people there. So I'm hoping that I'll get a chance to play one of these fan variants on that day, and then I can give my first impressions for that particular game. So it should be quite a nice mix for Arkham Horror in that month. There may be other reviews coming up on the site during that time. It depends how much time I've got. I've got I'm on holiday for a week at the end of October, so I'm I'm already a week down on getting all this stuff done. So you may find that there's going to be no other reviews coming up on the site during that time. There may be podcasts. I'm sure I'll be able to get a podcast out, just some basic first impressions of games I've played during the time, particularly if they're Halloween related. Uh, you might, if I'm lucky, King of Tokyo Halloween expansion will be released. Maybe I can get that up on the site during October to go with it. But generally, the month is going to be devoted to Arkham Horror, with minor exceptions. So I'm looking forward to getting that done. That is going to cover the entirety of October. After that, business will resume as normal. There's a lot of games on my shelf that I want to get reviews done for in the future. I can think of Dixit for one. I want to get Survive, Escape from Atlantis up on there. Uh, Cutthroat Caverns is another one that people have asked me to review. So, and that's assuming I don't buy more games in that time anyway. You know, I've reached a point where I don't need to buy too many games at this at this stage. But there's always going to be something I find as, oh, I want to buy that. And then I buy it, and then I realise I haven't got room on my shelf. So it's a thing, it's an affliction that affects all us gamers, I'm sure you'll admit. But that's Arkham Horror Month, coming in a matter of days. that wraps up another episode. I'm just going to say a quick apology here now. If you heard a police siren at any point during this podcast, I do apologise. I do have a slight restriction on the location that I'm recording these podcasts in, and sometimes you do get an untimely sound from outside, despite the way I've set up everything. So if you did hear one, sorry about that. You know, it doesn't happen very often. Hopefully I didn't put you off too much. Otherwise, I've enjoyed doing this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed listening to it. Um, one thing I'm going to ask though, if people could mention in the comments or just let me know at a particular gaming club, would you like me to start researching into doing video reviews? You know, I'm a big advocate of watching things like the Dice Tower on a regular basis and they've got their own contributors like uh, Board Game, not Board Game Geek, Game Boy Geek, <laughs> very similar, and various other like contributors who do their own video reviews. And most of them, you know, Dice Tower's got a good production value with their videos now. They're getting really good at it. The other contributors are generally fairly normal videos, you know, they're nothing spectacular apart from their intro videos and things like that. But generally they're just relatively basic. It's them on the screen and then it's the game. So maybe it's doable, but I've never tried video editing before. And I have no idea how I'd perform on the video or how it would get received. So it's something I'm considering, but I haven't done it yet. However, I wouldn't mind some of your feedback as to whether you think this site would be better if I got video reviews up. So basically, I'm just going to take whatever feedback you can give. And if there's a general consensus that I should get more video reviews up on the site, then I'll look into it. I'll do a bit of practice with the software I've got to edit some videos. Uh, mess around a bit with my camera, see where I could put it in the flat, and you know I will look into it because it may make some of my job easier. You know those written reviews do take time to come out with that much text, especially when you're distracted by other things. 
With a video, it can be potentially easier to show the components of a game and explain some of the mechanics when you can actually look on the table and see it being done in front of you. So I see the benefit of it, but I'm going to see whether people really want it or aren't too fussed and are happy with just written reviews and podcasts. So let me know in the comments about that. But for now, that's episode five of the Broken Meeple podcast. Thank you for listening and playing games, and I'll see you next time.